0: But following this, Jesus is invited to a prominent Pharisee's house on the Sabbath. Perhaps Friday night following the, the, the time that they had together at synagogue. And let's uh, read together Luke chapter 14 verses 1 to 11. I don't know if you have a title in, in front of your this section, but mine says Healing Again on the Sabbath. Now, I don't know, if you're a, a Pharisee, you're probably going Healing Again on the Sabbath. But Luke has gone out of his way on more than one occasion to say, you know, Jesus, he is kind of rocking the world a little bit here. And he wants to make sure that the Pharisees and all of us understand really what the purpose and heart of the Sabbath is. So starting in verse 1, it says, Now one Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a leader of the Pharisees, and they were watching him closely, later on in chapter 13, he had offended them. They were insulted. And so now... They're beginning to kind of lurk and watch close, observe, see if Jesus will slip up. And, of course, even this man who has dropsy that we'll read in just a second here. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. He he was obviously planted there. There was no way a Pharisee would be in the same room as a man who would be considered sinful like dropsy we'll talk about that later so jesus asked the experts in religious law notice who's there and the pharisees is it lawful to heal on the sabbath or not just like that it was silent so jesus took hold of the man seized him, grabbed him, and, and pulled him up, healed him, and sent him away. You don't need to be here. Then he said to them, Which of you, if you have a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? But they could not reply to this. Then when Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable, and he said to them, When you are invited to, by someone to a wedding feast do not take the place of honor because a person more distinguished than you may have been invited by your host. So the host who invited both you will come and say to you, give this man your place. Then ashamed, you will begin to move to the least important place. But when you're invited, go and take the least important place, the cheap seats, so that when your host approaches, he will say to you, friend, up here to this better place then you will be honored in the presence of all who share the meal with you one of Jesus's favorite statements right here for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted let's go ahead and pray well thank you for a great passage that we'll look at here this morning to see really Jesus's heart and help us to understand what we need to and what you have meant to accomplish in our lives and what the sabbath rest means and what and where the places that we need to seek honor really in you not in outside things. Father open our hearts and can help us to see what you want us to see so that we can be the people that you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Let's put a little bit of uh, kind of flesh and uh, to these uh, bones in this passage because it really is amazing and I want to paint a picture here so that you 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 really understand. You know, the Sabbath obviously is one of the, the, the fundamental marks of Judaism, the, the, the fourth commandment. It is the sign of a covenant of, of with God and his people, really exclusively. And so, on Friday evening, as the sun is setting, at the corner of Herod's temple, you could hear the trumpet's blast that would mark... The beginning of the Sabbath. And so then everyone would go off and 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 they would attend synagogue where they would re- recite the, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and your minds. And they would sing hymns and psalms. And they would pray. And they would read scripture. In fact, when they read Scripture, the person reading it could not take their eyes off the Scripture for fear that they would, would read the wrong thing. So they couldn't read like I did and kind of look, look around. You, you are focused on the Scripture. That's how intensely they loved God's law. And then someone would make an application. And then following that, they would often gather for a great, a big meal in one another's homes. I grew up with that, you know, going, I went to church every Sunday and every Sunday there was kind of a big meal that would follow. Being a little kid, I didn't always enjoy that because I couldn't go out to play. I had to play host to the, to those that were coming over. But roast beef and, and, and all, you know, all sorts of things were, were, were laid out at this, at this, this meal following church. Very similar. The scene that, uh, we we have here but this meal was a little bit different than just having anyone over because in this culture and this society who you had meals with who you socialized with who you hung with was extremely important and so it was all about social and economic status you never had anyone in your home that was below your level and social economic status And so if you were a prominent Pharisee, think about who was in that home. It was all about increasing your kind of net worth in the community. So this prominent Pharisee probably had all of the top dogs in the city. It was all about advancing, all about networking. Before we get to kind of hard on the Pharisees. Let me just explain a little bit who they were. Kind of founded during the captivity in Babylon, they were the defenders of the scriptures. And as Greek and Roman culture began to influence Judaism, they were the ones who rose up and took a stand and said, we are going to fight and, and, and hold to the standards of God. They were the grassroots. They were not the, the, the social elite. They were not the, the wealthy. They were the grassroots common man who said, we're going to defend God. We're going to defend his word. Pharisee means separatists. And their goal was to influence Israel by taking the Torah and making it very, very practical to everyday life. They were the religious reformers. They were the restoration movement in, in, in kind of church history. And they would start synagogues and teach the scriptures to people. And rabbis would gather around him some of the best and brightest and begin to influence them. They were strong in doctrine and scriptural authority. Again, like I said, they were the reformation movement to the Catholic church years ago. And they would call people back to God. God. And as Israel got more and more kind of worldly through the influence of Greek Hellenism and Greek and, and Roman culture, they began to put more and more restrictions on the law in hopes of protecting that law. And so the Sabbath became one of those because it was, not again, the fourth commandment of God. They in no way wanted to violate that law. So the idea of work, they said, well, you can't do this. Well, then you can't do this. You can't even lift this. You can't even do this. And so here is the, here is the Sabbath law in an attempt to stay away from even tr- remotely violating that. They put all of these fences away. It was, all, it was very noble. Their, their, their heart was very noble to do it but they began to lose the heart. These were not wimpy religious men. Josephus, in in fact, writes that because of their desire to defend God and his law, the Romans gathered up 800 of them and crucified them because they were causing disturbance. But over time, law and legalism replaces the heart. And you have religion... You don't have the relationship. Then this new rabbi comes along, Jesus. Calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. (laughs) You can imagine how that would go over. Shakes things up, breaks protocols. And they have a lot to lose. A lot that they've had so they've tried so hard to establish. And he asks deeper questions of them. So he's invited to this guy's home. There's a little background. This guy with dropsy is there. So, what is dropsy? Well, dropsy is a uh, a physical condition, a condition where you have edema or the retention of water, perhaps caused by heart disease or or, or some other uh, kidney or liver disease. And it's even described. One one of the a proverb says, "Nothing is as dry as a person with dropsy." You have an insatiable thirst in spite of all of the fluid that you have inside of you. This guy's obviously a plant. There's no way that this guy with dropsy would be in the prominent home of a Pharisee because to to them, dropsy was considered a, a punishment by God. Those who had insatiable lusts for sin, sexual sin, greedy, any desire for and thirst for sin. And so, this guy, Jesus comes into the home and it says right in front of him is a guy with dropsy. Jesus grabs him. That word by takes hold of him means it's another word in in, in Acts where it says that they they seize Paul and drag him off to prison. So Jesus grabs this guy pulls him up defiantly in front of all of the Pharisees and heals him and obviously sends him away. Dude, dude, you don't you don't you're you're not supposed to be here. But I heal you and I send you away. And it's interesting This whole idea of dropsy was in fact a physical sign of the spiritual symptoms that the Pharisees in fact displayed themselves, filled with God and yet really thirsty still for God. And Jesus shows them and us that we can have religion and still be thirsty. And also in this passage that we can find recognition and status from others and still end up thirsty and dry. So the first point. I struggled with the title here because I've I've thought about spiritual dropsy. Or quench your thirst. So here's the first point, though. Does, Does Christ quench your thirst and bring rest? Or are you still thirsty with religion? Again, what was the heart of the Sabbath? Let me repeat that. Does Christ quench your thirst and bring rest? Or are you still thirsty with religion? The heart of the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, was important, right? They were commanded to to keep it. In Deuteronomy, one of the things that they were supposed to be reminded of is is the fact that the Sabbath was to remind you that you were, at one point, slaves. You're God's chosen. You're supposed to spend time thinking, reflecting on who? On God and what He has brought and the release and, and and the celebration of that. But what did it become? Rules, regulations, and restrictions all replaced reflection. And what did Jesus come to bring? (laughs) Totally different. You read in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus kind of says his inaugural speech in in front of his hometown, he says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the year of Jubilee. The 49th year, it was called the Sabbath's Sabbath. Every 49 years, you would release all of the slaves and they would go back to, to kind of the, to back to their homes. And the land would rest. You wouldn't work the land. And it was a period really of reflection and of celebration. And Jesus himself says, that is what I have come to bring. I have come to bring release, a Sabbath, Sabbath, complete rest and reflection on God. But here's the question. What does your relationship with Christ bring you? Rest or religion? Set free or still chains? Laws and legalism or reflection in a relationship? the convicting thing is we can we can be religious and not necessarily Christ like we can do things of discipleship and miss the heart of Christ we can have legalism and all of the we can do so many things and still have this insatiable thirst to find God we can be right here today sitting listening to God and still be thirsty And it's so easy to get into routines, isn't it? You've been around a while. You know what it is and what to do to be a good disciple. I need to have a quiet time. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. I need to go to church, go to midweek, go to Bible talk, get with someone, share my faith. Here's the thing. We can be busy for God, but do we have rest in God? Activity for God does not quench our thirst for God. You ever felt at times that you've been doing a lot of things for God and still feel that God is empty? God is is distant. And sometimes we can fake ourselves out and think that my activity, all of the things that I do, will bring me to God. And that's not necessarily true. And so do you feel that your relationship with God is, is, is a delight? And I really sincerely want us to, to ask that self ask yourself that question. To be honest with yourself, or is it a duty? Are we motivated by what we do for God? The more things we do, the closer we think we'll be, but we end up exhausted instead of refreshed. You know, when I experience rest in God, it's those times when I spend Sabbath times with God. What I mean, you know, it, these don't have to be extensive periods of time, but they do have to be times where I reflect upon what I have been given, what I have been saved from, what I have been set free from, how I have been. You know, enjoyed the Sabbath, Sabbath, the year of jubilee, and I reflect upon what uh, I get to do in life, and, and to, to, to be with you. And so, the work that I do is a joy because I, I'm with God. To remember, we're we're, we're slaves. got to be stopped you got to stop you got to be still you got to have times of reflection you know it's amazing when I spend time with God in the right way I can be as busy as can be but I don't feel I don't feel quote-unquote burned out because I'm getting my refreshment from God and that's why Jesus kept incredible schedules but you never get a sense that he was kind of just freaking out with anxiety, right? Why? Because his Sabbath time with God, not necessarily on the Sabbath, quote-unquote, Saturday, but a time with God brought refreshment to him. And so even as we look through the, 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 the Gospels here of Luke, I mean, as you read the story of Jesus... Do do does the do the gospels jump out to you? Does Jesus jump out to you? Do, do you love diving into it and and seeing who he is in action? Or is it kind of like, yeah, I'll I'll read my Bible today. He's he's, he's got to be real. That's one of the reasons I even wanted to kind of paint a picture because we have got to we got to see that this this is just not a simple story. This guy with dropsy, there there's a lot of things that we kind of dive in, there's a lot of really neat stuff. But is that is that your Bible study? You know, one of the tests, I think, of rest or religion is whether we imitate kind of Christ through our serving and our compassion. And Jesus imitated God's heart. You know, if you go on even through the the Shema and, and some of the things that Israel would recite, God is compassionate and gracious and loving. It's what they wanted to reflect upon. He was merciful. And and, and Jesus' heart took him to places that most of you and I would be uncomfortable going. Let's be honest. Who of you, knowing that the Pharisee was kind of lurking around trying to capture you, would walk straight into his home? Not many of us would. but the compassion of Jesus that he would long to gather yes, even the Pharisees under his wings inspired and prompted him with compassion to go to this prominent Pharisee's home go places that again, we would not normally go and that's what the compassion of Jesus does it takes us to places that we are uncomfortable with it forces us to do things that we are uncomfortable with and we imitate the heart of Jesus Because again, the the, the Sabbath is meant to bring healing, refreshments. It's meant to be the year of Jubilee. Deuteronomy 15, talking about this year of Jubilee, it says not to be hard-hearted or tight-fisted, but rather open-handed and freely give and give generously. And so when we understand the year of Jubilee for us as disciples, we are not tight-fisted, we are are not hard-hearted, we are open-handed and we freely give and we give generously like Jesus and this is the heart that he wants us to go places in and I love Jesus that he would walk through and amongst the people and although even here he has an agenda to go to Jerusalem you don't get a sense that he this agenda is kind of you know really just that he's so distracted by it he can't he can't uh serve and meet needs. And when a guy with drops, he's there, he stops and he heals. And along his way, he's he's got a purpose. See, people are Jesus' agenda. So even in our evangelism, even in our sharing of our faith it takes on a whole new meaning, do we walk amongst the people? Do we just simply stop? And, and do we enjoy spending time with people because we genuinely, genuinely care? So does Christ quench your thirst and bring rest, or are you still thirsty for religion? Secondly, does Christ quench your thirst for honor, or are you still thirsty seeking honor from others? You know, the heart of this story is social protocols. Meal times were meant to increase, I talked about this, your influence, your impact in the community. Always strings attached. Law of reciprocity was, was huge services rendered or services returned. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I'm not a back scratcher, but for those of you who are, you can understand that principle. Honor is socially determined. Something you go after, something that you try to get recognized for. You get a sense of value and worth about how others see you. Now, family, that doesn't describe a lot of us. We all want to be recognized and honored right? And Jesus hits us right where we live kind of in a funny way I care what my neighbors think about my yard so I call a young lawn doctor and try to uh, salvage it but it's beyond uh, it's beyond any, any any attempts So now I don't care what my neighbors think because I can't do anything about it but I do care about what my neighbors think. It's why we buy new cars sometimes. Because it gives us a sense of worth. It's why we buy new TVs. It's it's why we want things. It's why we feel like other things will bring sense of, of, we thirst for some sort of meaning from these things. And when I was in high school, I really did care what other people thought. I compromised a lot of my integrity because I cared what people thought of me question to you, the teen disciples. Will you compromise your integrity, your Christianity? Will you compromise everything for that guy, that girl? If you could have that relationship that brings so much quote-unquote value to your life. But we do it even in church. Where do I fit in? Where am I in the Bible talk? Is my voice heard? Will I be recognized for that really cool insight in Clay's Bible talk? that everyone will go, wow. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. We want to be thought of as insightful. Will you be recognized? Will anyone say that you served at Union Mission and pat you on the back? Will you go through the, the and say, hey, you should have been there at Union Mission yesterday like I was Is my good news that I share really good news about God or more about me? And they were silent. <laughs> it's a good question. And here's a key to whose honor we're really interested in in seeking. Is it's our humility. You're content to wait for honor to be given rather than pursuing or seeking it. And Jesus just rocks their world she turns it upside down and says take the humble road go for the cheap seats go where nobody wants to go be humble and he rocks their world don't worry about being first don't seek praise from others live to please God again our humility really is found in us being a servant are we willing to take the lowest You heard Charles talk about children's ministry. Helping the poor. Meeting the need in the church of someone. And here's the test. Then content that no one would say absolutely anything about it. You don't get any recognition at all. Don't we want it at some point? That really tests our hearts. So as we bring this story around once again to this man who with uh, with dropsy at whose center stage, you know, he's the only one who 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 experiences real healing. Of course Jesus. See, religion won't quench your thirst. It can be full of activity, but still be thirsty. Thirsty for recognition and value in other things. You can drink all you want, but you're going to still be parched. You're still going to want more. So here's my challenge as I close. Maybe you're the man with dropsy here this morning. Maybe you found yourself here at church. And you want to be healed. And you're thirsty. Want meaning. Sit down with someone. This week, find out how Christ really can quench your thirst. But for some of us, has your relationship to Christ really brought you rest, or is it is it, or is it just simply religion? Checklists, to-do lists for God, but God still is distant. And what will you do this week to really get into, into the Bible, not not out of kind of to-do, but to really find God. Get with someone. Come up with a plan to to, to get excited about your relationship with God and what He wants to bring to you. Maybe some of us need to stop living to please others and getting honor and recognition from them and be more important about seeking humility and really getting honor from Christ in the way that we served. See, the moral of the story today is Christ really does want to bring healing to our lives, and he really does want to quench our thirsts. He doesn't want to bring rules and regulations. He doesn't want to simply bring religion. He wants a relationship with you that really brings you rest in that relationship. He doesn't want us to be thirsty from recognition of other things, but to find honor in him. See, Christ wants to heal all of us this morning so that we don't suffer from spiritual dropsy, but that he really does allow him to quench our thirst. Amen?